All right, well, good morning, everybody. I know we've already been socializing. That's what it's all about. First little bit. What? We should have all just brought sleeping eggs last night. That was fun. The lock in. Yeah, the lock in. Hey, Clover, did you use your skillet this morning? No. Yeah. I should have, but I didn't. Okay, so just a few things that I want to mention. Um, There'll be a Wednesday night service like normal. I, I guess I didn't realize, I had forgotten that um, Pat and Jeremy were doing a set, uh, set, several sessions on Wednesday nights on IGO evangelism, so they're finishing that up, I think, this Wednesday night. Um, so that'll be done. And then uh, Friday night, uh, which is Christmas Eve, the service starts at 6. <clears throat> and um, for anybody that's coming, there's a flyer in the bulletin. Uh, just as a reminder of that, about that service. And I think you're going to have some, like if, if little kids come, they'll have a little gift bag um, for the kids as they exit. Um, so um, I'm just looking at some notes that Brian always sends, just as a reminder for things. So we're taking up a Christmas offering for our missionaries. Uh, that's today. I mean, you can donate next week if you want, but we're we're going to take the primary take up is today. Uh, you can donate that either through through your offering or in the box or online or however. So the missionaries really they um, you know um, this is for every all the missionaries, not just the supportive missionaries. So all, even our approved missionaries. So um, so we take whatever comes in and we. We allocate it to each of the missionaries. So some sometimes it's a it's a little, sometimes it's a lot, but uh, it's definitely uh, a, a gift to them, and they appreciate it. So we'll take that up today. Um, and uh, uh, Brian, he wants he he. So uh, I don't remember what the, oh, starting the December 29th, Midtown Baptist Temple, they always have a, a uh, their mission conference um, around the holiday. And the reason they do that is for, just like Ben, you know, Ben's in college, uh, so he's gone. So they have it now when Ben is back. So I don't know if you're going to go to the conference or not, but um, this is an example. So, um, and uh, it has grown over the years to um, uh, exceed the capacity of Midtown. And so there's, there's a couple of things that uh, are happening. So each night, and I don't have the schedule exactly with me right now, but I, I don't know if, if it's even, I think it's on, might be on our website, I don't know. But anyway, um, each evening, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, they'll be preaching, but they'll be preaching at, um, I think, three different churches. So you can go to either one, and you look at who, who you want to listen to, Go to that church. So it's going to be Midtown, uh, Living Faith in Lee Summit, or Harvest Baptist in Blue Springs. And then on Wednesday night, uh, Brian is, has worked it out with the AV team. They're going to live stream uh, one of those preachers into our church. So you can come here and hear it on Wednesday night. Um, we did that last year. It seemed to work pretty well. Uh, I don't know exactly who. I don't remember who this he say here. No, he doesn't say, but Jeff Bartell, Joe McCaig, James Fife, and some others will be preaching in different places. I don't know. I think he's going to have Jeff uh, Bartell piped into our church on Wednesday night. Uh, you can also sign up and go to the day sessions in the mornings, and uh, you know, they'll have breakfast and lunch, and, uh, and then they have some train, some sessions in the mornings. I don't know who the speakers are. I don't know what the sessions are all about, uh, but uh, you're free to, to attend that as well. Uh, we won't be doing anything in the day sessions here, but we will. Um, Brian wants you to know about it. Um, if you go to livingfaithfellowship.org, you can find more information out about that um, if you're interested in that at all. Um, I may go to maybe one of the day sessions. I'm not sure yet. I hadn't decided. Um, and um, the other thing is... Um, um, Next Sunday, next Sunday, a week from today, 
Uh, we will not have Bible fellowship or Bible hour at 9 o'clock. We won't have a service at 9. We'll just have a service at 10.30, main service. Um, so the reason for that is because we're having Christmas Eve service. Then you have Christmas Day. Everybody's busy with Christmas Day and then try to have service on the 26th. Uh, we're just we're going to set aside 9 o'clock service so we won't have next week. We won't be in here. We'll just do the main service. And um, so kind of keep that in mind. Um, our class is scheduled to clean January 8th, and um, I just want to encourage everybody, I know that's, you know, like right in the middle of the, you know, still winding down, celebrating for the holidays and all that kind of stuff, and, um, but uh, it's, it's, it's a task that does need to be done, and so if you're able to be a part of that, even if it's just a little bit, just try to come. Um, I don't think we got it locked in a day yet. Uh, have we locked in a day yet? You, you want to pick the day? Friday night or Saturday? Or, or both. Well, you, you decide. She doesn't want to. She doesn't want to answer. That's okay. Before we. Yeah, we could be here at six a.m. on Saturday. Okay, so there's a no on that. We'll eliminate some hours on the clock. Anyway, uh, we'll lock it in here pretty quick. It, it'll be, I don't know, we'll figure something out. Some people may want to clean on Friday night. We like to clean on Friday night. Some people may want to come in on Saturday and finish it up. That's great. We'll, we'll work it out. But uh, I did give a schedule to you guys uh, last week or two weeks ago for all of the... Um, the year's schedule, so you guys know when we're cleaning and uh, and what's going on there. So, hey Randy, yes. If you do dinner on Friday, everybody will be there. Friday. If I do dinner, <laughs> okay. So let's do that. Let's uh, we'll clean on Friday night and we'll all go to the garage. How's that? Oh, awesome. You don't know about the garage? Yeah. Okay. Now we were talking the other night, last night, and I think you liked brisk burrito. I do not like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you will love the girl. I said it was a step down from Taco Bell. <laughs> 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 you can tell Sorry. what she thinks about that. Anyway, um, that's, we can try that and see how that works out. Or, I mean, we could go get ice cream. Just make it simple. Just go get some ice cream after cleanup. We're on a diet. <laughs> okay, you can watch me eat ice cream. Okay, so anyway, uh, and let me, where's my phone? What's in there? Give me your phone, please. So I've got an update on Gwen. Uh He did have his surgery, and um, um, things went well. He is at home. I just want to read an update if I can find the village text. Here we go. I did, I think. Okay, so this is what Betty sent this morning. She says, first off, thank you, Real Life, for the feast that you sent us last night. So I think you guys took the meal over there. They really appreciated that. Uh, he's, he, he's eating, but he can't eat that much right now yet. But uh, she's, uh, Betty goes on. She says, I'll freeze most of it for Daniel, who is coming next Saturday night. He is the blessing of a youthful hunger. So she's going to give all that food to him. Gwen is having a lot of pain right now. It's not his, his uh, uh, L1 vertebrae that's where the pain is at. Moreover, his whole body, I think it might be because the anesthesia and the drugs and all that stuff has worn off, and so now he's, he's just hurting everywhere. Uh, the cancer um, medicine has... Um, cause you know, joint pain and different things like that. I had the same thing, and if you had chemo, you probably have had joint pain as well. Mm -hmm. um, so they're just asking for prayer on that. And then their, their daughter, Holly, is heading home today. Um, so she was here for the surgery and, and everything, and so she's, she's heading home. North Carolina? Okay, so she's got to fly home. And then, um, so I think that's basically it. So, anyway, I'm looking at Julie's text. Hang on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, well, I'm not going to read this. This is, this is too long. Well, you know, that's how we keep each other honest. She has all my passwords. I have all of hers. Uh, okay, so uh, so pray for for Gwen that he just continues to heal. He has been able to eat. I did update the class, you know, everybody last night at the party uh, that uh, Betty did say that on his way home from surgery, if you didn't hear this, I'll update you everybody else. On his way home from surgery, uh, he did have Holly stop at Taco Bell, and uh, he got three, two crunchy tacos and a, a bean burrito and some rice pudding. Uh, and uh, so he ate all of that. So that's, I mean, he, his appetite is, is coming back, and, he, and he's able to hold it down. At least I don't think he had a problem holding it down. Um, so that's so that's really good. Um, and um, I don't have an update on uh, on Desiree, but I think she's doing okay. Do you know anything about it? She's doing better. She's doing better. I talked to Bob Bolkin last night. They're both doing well. Um, they wish they could. They miss you guys. Um, you know, if you ever have an opportunity, just call them and just talk to them. Just say, hey, how you guys doing? We love you. Miss you guys. You know, see what's going on with them. Um, and uh, just kind of re remember them. Um, and then pray for Bob Klein and his family and uh, Bud Trust. And then there's a lot of others, of course, on our prayer list. It's always on there. Uh, on the, uh, the, our 20th anniversary for this church is going to be celebrated, I believe, um, in January, I think. The ninth. Hmm? The ninth. The ninth, yeah. Oh, okay. I I'm going to steal that. What a sweetheart. That is so nice. Did you give me her one? Well, if you. Yeah. So you guys didn't see that on, on the phone, but uh, uh, Brianna just gave uh, Annabeth a cast iron skillet because that was the, the high dollar stealing item last night from the uh, winner. I mean, it was hilarious watching people steal that thing. And uh, so, well, praise the Lord. Yeah, you know, we, we did see we did see some family tensions. Uh, so anyway, um, yeah, that was funny. That was hilarious. That's a fun game to play. That white elephant gift giving. Um, kind of lost my place in here. Okay, so the, so the 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 twentieth anniversary celebration of HBF. Uh, uh, can't think of the name. David uh, Branham is preparing the main course, but he's there's some sign-up sheets in the lobby uh, for side dishes. And uh, so if you can bring a side dish for that, he, you know, just sign up on that, just be aware of that and know about it. And then um, I have on the notes here a discipleship, and I have the word dinner. I'm a little bit confused if it's a dinner or a lunch because I've been told both. <laughs> so I don't actually know right now, but I think it's... Well, it says luncheon in the calendar, but Brian's notes for the meeting tonight say dinner. That's a southern thing, isn't it? Well, that's called lunch dinner. Dinner, dinner yes. lunch, and yeah, lunch. Yeah, because he calls supper. dinner supper. He calls yeah. dinner Well, I call it dinner. He calls lunch dinner. Well, lunch is lunch. Well, terminology and vocabulary, I tell you what, it throws people off. So, in any case... Well, that does matter because I think in the notes it says it's at twelve o'clock, but the but the notes in the meeting tonight, tonight say it's at five o'clock. Uh, so we'll get clarification tonight. Words matter. It's not until February, so don't worry about it right now. It's not until February. We got a got a month and a half or so to worry about it. Um, I think that's everything uh, that I wanted to give notes on. Our updates. So let's turn over to the to the last chapter of the book of uh, Psalms, chapter one fifty. That's where we'll be in uh, for prayer this morning. It's only six verses. Short passage. That is a lot. There's a lot there. Okay. So Psalm chapter fifty, verse one. Says, "Praise ye the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in the firmament of His power." Praise Him for His mighty acts. 
Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him for the sound of the trumpet. Praise him for the psaltery and harp. Praise him for the timbrel and dance. Praise him for the stringed instruments and organs. Praise him upon the loud cymbals. Praise him upon the high-sounding cymbals. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you so much for your son Jesus Christ. And we do praise you. We do praise you for all of the, the things uh, that represent who you are, that identify us to you, that identify you to us, and make, make it very clear that there is a God that has created all things, that has given life to all things, and that uh, has restored uh, his relationship back uh, to mankind through your son Jesus Christ. And we do praise you for all of those things because you're worthy, you're worthy of our praise. Um, and we just thank you for, for everything that you've done. We thank you for responding to prayer on the needs that we have. Uh, I didn't mention Bob Bickett, Lord. Uh, we pray for him, oh Lord, and, and the work that you've done through his doctors and the medical staff taking care of his, <clears throat> his uh, bypass surgery and getting him home. And we pray for him to be healed soon and to be restored back to um, being just being involved in things that uh, he wants to be involved in. Uh, we praise you for, Lord, what you uh, did with uh, Gwen Arney's surgery last week as well, Lord. We just give you the praise for that because, Lord, you put the right staff together, and they, they did the job, and uh, we know that there'll be a progressing, progressive healing from all of that. We do praise you for many things, Lord. We could, just, we could go on and on when praising you, and I do thank you for the opportunity to praise you um, today, and we just give you the honor and the praise for it all. Father, as we conclude in prayer again, we just uh, we never want to lose sight of the fact that we, there's so many things that we can praise you for. Um, we praise you for our salvation. We can praise you for uh, our, our relationship and our fellowship amongst the believers. We can praise you for the Word of God that gives us um, a, uh, an understanding of your mind and what you think about and how you see us. And as we could, as I said earlier, we could just go on and on praising you. And uh, so now, Lord, we just ask that you would. Uh, Speak to our hearts, Lord, as we look at uh, continue studying the book of Second Corinthians. Ask for your guidance and your direction, and uh, Lord, may we always um, 
be able to praise you to others that they may see you in our life. And we just thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so 2 Corinthians chapter 11 is where we're at. So, um, we saw last week in chapter 10 uh, that, Paul, uh, that Titus, had, well actually this is in chapter 9 now, but Titus brought, brought a, good, a good report to Paul, and Paul was just ecstatic after hearing the report, and he could have he could have concluded his entire letter in chapter 9, verse 15. I mentioned this before, um, but just as a reminder, because Paul's got some other things to say. So he kind of concludes, if you go back here, let me get to 2 Corinthians chapter, four, chapter 9, verse 15. And Paul, Paul says, Thanks be to God for his unspeakable gift. And so he could have just concluded there, but he didn't. He went on into chapter 10 and verse and chapter 11 and 12 and 13 because he's got more things to say. He basically, first the first uh, nine chapters, he was trying to address the situation in the mind and the heart of the church members. He had to deal with those, but, it, but he finally got the message that he got from Titus was, Paul, they get it. They hear you, they understand you, and they're making changes. And Paul says, great. Thanks be to God for these unspeakable gifts. He's praising God right there for what finally had occurred in the hearts of the church. Now he's going to deal with the reason that the church was being distracted, which are these false, false teachers, these uh, Judaizers, and so on. So he needed to address a serious, in chapter 10, was a serious leadership problem, starting in chapter 10, but it also goes into chapter 11 and 12, and he begins to speak directly to and about his critics. He's, he's, he's calling them out for the things that they have been saying. So it's not just like he's, he, okay, I fixed the problem. They misunderstood. They, they, they were going down the wrong path. Now they're going the right path. So I'm done. I can walk away. That's not exactly where it is. He said, okay, that's great. I'm glad. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take to task the, the people that caused you to go steer, be steered wrong. And he's going to deal with those in these next several chapters here. So Paul referred to those that attacked him and his person throughout the first nine chapters, uh, his leadership and his teaching, and, and uh, he referred to those uh, as Judaizers, false teachers, false, false prophets, and so on. And so now we're going to continue to refer to them as false teachers and, so, and, and, and such, because uh, Paul's not going to give them, he's not giving them just a nod, okay, you guys messed up, now just go away. You know, he's going to take them to task for their falseness. In their failure. In chapter 10, he called them out for their destructive leadership as they turned the hearts, mind, and actions of the church that Paul had started. Paul defended the church because he has an interest in the church. I mean, we've been here for 20 years in this church, which, praise the Lord. Um, but every one of us should want to defend our church exactly the same way Paul has. I mean, if people are coming into our church, and we have had in the past, and we will have in the future, false teachers that come into our church that that start to turn an ear about something, and when you find out about it, you need to stop it. You need to shut that kind of stuff down. You have that authority because this Word of God gives us that authority, and we need to take them to task. Uh, but that means, by the way, you need to know the Bible. You can't, you can't let that happen. I mean, you can't take people to task if you don't know what the Word says. So anyway, that's just a, uh, a plug to go in, in further into discipleship deeper into their own Bible studies and so on. So, he turns towards his critics and he addresses them for their lack of leadership at the cost of, and it did cost the church, it cost them, he misdirected followers, they made passage, you know, it, it makes the passage, I referenced this verse last week in Proverbs chapter 26 as a very appropriate description that he's dealing with these, these men. Uh, in Proverbs 26 verses 4 and 5, answer not a fool according to his folly, lest thou be like unto him. In verse 5, answer a fool according to his followers, lest he be wise in his own conceit. So really verse 5 is where we're at. We need to deal with these people, otherwise they'll be wise in their own conceit. And we're going to have to straighten out their, 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 mis, their misguided thinking. So in chapter 11, he calls out their false teaching and the damage, such as deceitful lies, how, that's, how it's caused by false teaching. And so he's no longer going to ignore them. That's kind of what he did. He kind of gave them... Uh, a little bit of leeway in the first nine chapters. He mentioned them, and he addressed a couple of things to make a point, 
But he's not, he's going after them. He's going directly at them in 10, 11, 12, and 13. Um, he's no longer going to ignore them. He's going to come at them face on through wisdom, spiritual maturity, and right doctrine. And he will address their error and correct their foolishness and bring the church back into truth and righteousness. And he doesn't just write these foolish men. Instead, he uses their words uh, to teach the truth. So in chapter 11, uh, it's going to guide us to becoming a better teacher of truth and help us to live that truth in our ministries that ultimately will raise the maturity level of the church. So just as a reminder, we looked at six leadership principles last week that we all need to strive to have in our own life and whatever we're doing, leading whatever leadership we role we take. Note how to balance uh, being base and be, being bold. Paul talked about both being base and bold. Uh, understand spiritual warfare. Uh, what you are inside is most important for the gospel. Number four was to understand authority and your allotment of that authority. How much authority do you actually have? And depending on the role, you have a, quite a bit of authority. Number five was to keep your word. That's pretty straightforward. Keep your word because integrity is vital. And number six was do your own work. Okay, so we start in chapter seven. Or I'm sorry, chapter eleven, verse one. And we'll just read. Uh, we'll read the first five because we're probably not going to get much further than verse five. It said, "Would to God you you could bear with me a little in my folly, and indeed bear with me." For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. And he says in verse 3, But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted by the simplicity, I'm sorry, corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For it is, if he that cometh preaches another Jesus, whom, ye, whom we have not preached, or if ye... Receive another spirit which we have not received, or another gospel which we have not, which ye have not accepted. You might well bear with him, for I suppose I was not a whit behind the very chiefest uh, apostles. And that's probably about as far as we're going to get today. So in verse one, Paul he starts off. He says basically he's saying, "Put up with my foolishness. Put up with my foolishness. These little, these false teachers and these Judaizers that made the case to the church that Paul was not in fact." Or Paul was, in fact, a fool. They, were, they basically convinced Paul, them, Paul is gone. They say, Paul was a fool. Paul didn't know what he was talking about. Paul doesn't understand that we need to go back to the law, back to the Old Testament, and so on and so forth. And so uh, that he made, uh, they had made the case that Paul was a fool, that he was unable to speak, that he had no authority, and he was not worth listening to. That's pretty harsh from them. You know, I mean, this is a church that had been planted by Paul. It would be like, some of us, um, somebody in our church, not some of us, because I know you guys wouldn't do this, but some of us, some church, some people in the church may raise up at some point in time and say, well, Pastor Brian, he's a fool. He doesn't know what he's talking about. He's an idiot. He's leading us down the wrong path. We need to get rid of Pastor. That happens in churches sometimes. It's called a church split. It's called a, 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 a what's the, I lost the word I'm looking for. It's a division. Um, but anyway... That's what was happening with with Corinth. So these false teachers, these Judaizers, they, they had made that case, and it had infected the church. So the church was now listening to them, these false teachers. So we want to uh, he, let's identify these teachers. What are they, this, there's plenty of passages that give us a picture of that. Look at Acts chapter 15, verse 13 and 14. I'm sorry, Acts 17. 13 and 14. It says here in verse 13, But when the Jews of Thessalonica had knowledge that the word of God was preached at Paul, uh, preached of Paul at Berea, they came thither also and stirred up the people. So, so Paul is in Thessalonica. He's preaching the word of God. He's already uh, been in and out of several places because he's being chased out by these, these people. In verse 13, um, they heard that Paul was preaching at Berea, so they came and stirred up the people. So that's a problem right there. Verse 14, And then immediately the brethren sent away Paul to go, as it were, to the sea. But Silas and Timotheus uh, abode there still. So first off, these people are they're trying to stir up. Uh, this gives us a picture of what their problem is. In fact, if you look at the passage, notice in verse 13, it says, Stirred up the people. 
And in verse 14, it says, Immediately the brethren sent Paul away. So, so Paul's not going away this time. He's not, he's not you know, he, he was in Thessalonica. He was only there for a few weeks. He never went back to Thessalonica as far as we know. But he wasn't putting up with that for, for the church of Corinth. So, so, uh, um, so while the Thessalonians did not grieve uh, Paul, they, they, did, they were stirred up such that Paul had to set them right on a few doctrines. It says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, But even after that we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as you know, at Philippi, we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of, of God with much contention. So Paul is contending, basically, for the truth. He's contending for the heart, for the mind for the, of, the, of the church to get focused on getting what they're doing. So, so these are a couple of places that kind of give us a picture of who Paul is dealing with at this point in time. So he uses that expression back in, first, uh, in first, or 2 Corinthians verse 11, verse 1. He, he says, would to God. Now, that's a common expression. I don't know too many people that use it here. But maybe we would say, I don't know if you say it, but I say it a lot, Julie knows. Oh, for crying out loud. <laughs> don't I say it a lot? Yeah. <laughs> for crying out loud. I mean, it's, it's just, that's my exasperation expression. Now, some of you may say, oh, for heaven's sake. You know, my aunt would say, for Pete's sake. I don't know why, but... I, I say Do you say that? Okay, so, so that's where Paul is at. Would to God. I mean, come on, people. That's kind of his expression here. It's a, it's a, so Paul had been dealing with this church from the time of his departure all the way back in Acts chapter 18, which was at the end of his second missionary journey. And he's, he's dealing with this church over and over and over again. So he says, would to God. Then he says, he goes on further, and he says, would, would to God you could bear with me a little in my folly. Now the word folly... I think everybody's pretty straightforward on it. It basically means foolishness or a lack of wisdom. Foolishness or a lack of wisdom. And it describes the boasting and the bragging that comes from the foolish. Typically people who are foolish, they boast a lot, uh, they brag a lot. And so Paul's asking the church, he said, um, if they could just, okay, let me be foolish for just a minute and just patiently bear out what I'm about to say because i got things to say. Yeah, okay, you think I'm foolish, you think I'm a fool, you think I'm uh, silly, whatever. Just bear with me for just a moment. Let me, let me talk. Let this fool speak. And you hear this fool speak. And so uh, he, he's asking them to do that. And he asks that they put their condemnation and displeasure on hold for just a moment. And he's like, okay, just calm down. Let me explain. You know, and, and typically when you see people battling today verbally, nobody wants to let anybody else have a word in edgewise. They just... Like constantly over-talking somebody, uh, you know, uh, and so Paul's saying, look, just would to God you would just stop talking and let me speak. And that's what he's saying here. So now uh, we know that Paul did not like to boast. That was something that Paul, he, he, re, he didn't like boasting. And that's basically what he's going to have to do here. Let me just, would you stop talking? Let me just tell you some things. And so he doesn't like to do that, though. Um, unless he's boasting about Christ, that would be the only thing he wants to boast about is about Christ. He said in Second Corinthians chapter ten, we looked at a couple weeks ago, in verse ten, verse uh, chapter ten, verse seventeen, he says, "But he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord." I mean, if you're going to glory in anything, glory in the Lord. He's telling the church, and the church ought to know this already, because they've been glorying in in their displeasure of Paul, basically. And so, if you want to compare the false apostles at Corinth, um, compared to the false apostles at Corinth, Paul seems to fall short of the mark, but their mark was not even close to being right. They set a mark, uh, he tried to, uh, you know, they're trying to hit him with the mark, and, and they're, they're pretty far off center. And so, he, he offered a completely different reason for his relationship in order to show that his grounds for boasting are exactly the opposite of those used by his adversaries. His purpose for boasting about what he's done in the church and what has happened in the church is different than what the, the false, false teachers and these Judaizers were doing. He's, so he's going to offer a completely different reason, starting in verse 2. So let's read verses 2 to 4 again. He says, For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband, 
that I may present you as a chaste virgin. That's an intentional statement. That's what he's trying to do uh, to Christ. Verse 3, But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For it is, if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if ye receive another spirit which ye have not received, or another gospel which ye have not accepted, you might well bear with, with him. Okay, so he says, here's my concerns. Okay, give me a chance. Let me tell you my, my concern, my fears for you. My, my, and he's actually, I think I've got six of them listed here. So verse, one, verse two, Paul's first concern, he says, I'm jealous over you. Now, what's he mean by that? The first time that we see the word jealous in the Bible is in Exodus chapter 20, verse 5. And Paul, or in that passage, it says that God is a jealous God. Now, why did God say that? Because in every instance, the word jealous, in the Old Testament especially, is used to describe the character of God. He has a jealousy towards his people. He cares. That's what jealousy actually means. He cares. Um, it's all Jealousy, when it talks about that in the Old Testament, all, it always describes God's attitude towards man's worship of false gods. And, God's, and, and man's... Um, uh, desire for another God versus the true God. So that arouses his jealousy and his anger in judgment against the idol worshipers. So God is jealous that we would choose to worship another God. And we all know that there is no other God but, but Jesus, or but God. Um, so closely is this characteristic associated with God that God's name is actually jealous. He, he jealous. In Exodus chapter 34, verse 14, For thou shalt worship no other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. So not only is his name jealous, but he is a jealous God. You would be considered worshiping another God. And that's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying the same thing. I'm jealous that you would listen to somebody else give you false teaching, false in information, false doctrine, false gospel, that, I, that you would even hear that thing. And he says, that's a concern I have. Uh, he's not just jealous that, they're, that they no longer are listening to him, rather like God he is. He does not want to see the church worshiping another God. That's what Paul's concern is, that they would turn and worship another. What would they be worshiping if they followed these Judaizers? They'd be worshiping the Old Testament law. That was the problem uh, in the Old Testament with the Jews, was they basically worshiped the law instead of worshiping God. It didn't matter what you were doing as long as you did the law. That's what they were concerned about. And Paul is saying, hey, I don't want that to happen to you. And um, we'll see this a little bit more, this jealousy concept in verse 3 when we get to that. Verse. Randy, I hate to interrupt you, but I have a question about that because I've thought about this before in comments that people make. But how do you make that attribute not have a negative connotation? Because people think jealousy is bad. Um, most of the time, jealousy is bad, except when it's in the... In, uh, about a behavior that somebody is uh, exhibiting that is a worship of, an, of a false god. That's the context that, that the, the word jealous is used in the Bible. It's always that God is always jealous, which is a positive thing. So if God can be jealous, then jealousy has a positive side. And that positive side is God is jealous of our worship of another god. Or we would put something in front of God over God, you know, whether it's our marriage, whether it's our job, whether it's uh, uh, the possessions that we own, whatever. I put that in front of God. God's jealous over that. Yeah. So uh, jealousy in the sense that I'm jealous because uh, I can't even think of a good context other than maybe in a marital relationship. You know, yeah. I, I've done quite a bit of study on it. So in, he, in Hebrew, I mean, Exodus 34 Kana is the Hebrew name for jealous with God, and it's as a protector, like a father over a child or a mother over a child. That as a protector, yeah. I'm jealous because I'm protecting you. But we think of it because of our sinful nature, yeah. and we bring sin into it. Um, so, but like a father or a mother over a child. Yeah, actually, I did read that uh, in my in my study, but I didn't put that in in my notes. Um, but yeah, and uh, jealousy is a we, we we tend to warp it and twist it, and, um, and but 
but it, it is a protection thing, and God is trying to protect his people to worship the right God because he knows that if they're worshiping the fa- a false God, they'll be driven, they'll be, they'll be taken away from God, uh, and they'll be taken down a wrong path, and they will suffer for it. Uh, and so, um, so in the sense of a father and a child, or a parent and a child, uh, we're jealous over whatever may come in their in- influence and drag them off, whether it's video games or uh, music or whatever. You know, we, we have a jealousy towards those things because they are, dry, are dragging our kids away from where they need to be. So, does that help? Yeah, it's like a desire because you want what's best for them. You, yeah, exactly. You, and so, how do we define what's best? Well, what does God want for them? What does God want for our children? If God wants that for our children, then we should want that for our children. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, it's the same kind of thing. Okay. Thank Thanks. you, Jeremy. Appreciate that. Okay, so um, it, so he also says in verse two, at the second part of it, not only talk about godly jealousy, he says, "For I am, I have espoused you to one husband, and I pre- may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ." And so his second concern is, "Who are you espoused to?" That's what Paul is concerned about. Who are you espoused to? Uh, which kind of plays into what we were talking about just a second ago. Uh, so the word espoused is a, you know, it's a, just a more formal way of saying that you're engaged to be married. And we don't typically use the word, we use the word spouse, but we don't, that's typically after you're married. We never talk about people being espoused. We just talk about them being engaged. But it's basically this more formal way. Here's the cool thing about the word, the word espoused is the Greek word harmazo. Now what does harmazo sound like? Sounds like harmony. Yeah, so harmazo means to join together, to be fit together, in other words, to be in harmony together. So they're espoused. And Paul had espoused the church to be what? To be joined with Christ, to be presented to Christ. And now he's concerned about them that these false teachers are getting in the way of this relationship. And that's a big deal. Um, the image that Paul draws on is the father of the bride caring for the protection of the bride. That's what we should do, right? I mean, if you have, I don't have daughters, but I have granddaughters, and I, I'm going to do what I can to protect them when it comes time, you know, from the wrong guy, you know. Uh, and that's what Paul is saying. I'm going to protect the church. I want, I, I'm here to protect you because you have been espoused. You have a, the promise of a relationship, he says at the end of verse 2. I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. That's your espousal. And this, these people are getting in the way of you being presented to Christ. Now they're saved and they will be presented, of course, uh, but that relationship has been tarnished. And so carnal jealousy centers on self. That may be healthy there too as well. Carnal jealousy centers on self and is almost in every case destructive. But where godly jealousy is a caring and protective watch care over the flock, so that's I would uh, that kind of hopefully helps to separate. There's godly jealousy. There's carnal jealousy. Godly jealousy is a protective get jealousy. Carnal jealousy is is a personal uh, desire to have what you want versus what they want versus what God wants. Let me get back here to my notes real quick. Page separate here. Yeah, it centers on self and is almost always destructive. Uh, Paul wrote and referred to the church as the bride of Christ. So just as a reminder, the church is the bride. The bride is espoused to Christ. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 32. Of course, that whole passage in Ephesians chapter 5 about the marriage. He ultimately ends up in verse 32 of chapter 5 of Ephesians. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church about a marriage. And so they're espoused to be married. We know that there's a wedding coming. And we know that that wedding... I don't know what these guys were teaching the church when it comes to that concept. But you know the wedding? The wedding that, that we have in our future? Is it taught in the Old Testament? It's not taught in the law. The law doesn't have anything to do with that. The only way that you're going to do right is if you do the law. Keep the law. That's what their false teaching is. Now you may recover, you may recall... Just for example, in Mary, uh, Mary, the mother of Christ, was espoused to Joseph, but by her becoming pregnant, it was assumed that she was unfaithful. Mm-hmm. 
It would be the assumption, not by Joseph. Maybe, I don't know, maybe Joseph's been his heart made dealt, but he also knew that God was telling him to just deal, he just accept it and move forward. Um, so that unfaithfulness typically is normally considered as an adulterous act, even though the marriage of Mary and Joseph had not yet happened, because they were espoused, they were bound together in that promise of, of a future marriage. In the same way the church is espoused to Christ, it must be faithful to him in this world until he returns for the wedding that we see in Revelation chapter 19. So the church, Paul's concern was the church was losing their fidelity in their relationship uh, to Christ. It was the, they were going to turn from Christ. That was his fear. And then in verse 3, he gives another fear, a third concern that he had. He says, I fear, lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. So Paul's third concern, he feared that they were being tricked. He feared that they were being tricked. He's, we know that God does not give us the spirit of fear, right? We all know that. The Bible says we don't give it. But Paul says, I fear this. Uh, there is a fear that is a godly fear. And that's one of them. That, that, that is a the godly fear is a right, is a fear of the right, uh, I'm sorry, fear, fear of real spiritual fears and moral dangers, that godly caution in our life and in the life of those we have to watch over. Let me read that again because I kind of jumbled through my own notes. Okay, so the godly fear is this is a fear of real spiritual fears moral and moral dangers that a godly caution in our life and in the life of those that we have watch our care over. We're concerned. We fear for them being dragged away from um, what where they need to be. Every parent... And every pastor should have this godly fear of their children in the flock. Why? We, I do know from talking, spending a lot of conversations with Brian that he fears that we may be, not just as a church, but individually, he fears that some people, based on whatever their circumstances are, they be, he fears that they be dragged away, mm-hmm. to be deceived, to be lied to. Paul fears their loss, the church's loss, to the same entity that beguiled Eve. That's why he brought up that. The serpent beguiled Eve. Why did he point that out? Because we know what happened when she got beguiled. Uh, in In Genesis chapter 3, verse 13, the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. And what Paul is saying, I don't want that to happen to you, church. I don't, I don't, you don't need that to happen to you. Beguiling means to deceive. It means to lead out of the right way to error. It means to seduce. And that's what happened to her. That's, what the church, that's what's happened in the church. And Paul's fear is that we're going to fall for that. We're going to fall for that junk. The serpent tries to beguile, to confuse uh, everybody as to the reality of the truth of God's word. We're constantly being beguiled in our own world, in our own circumstances. Even today, the devil is trying to beguile us because there's all kinds of stuff that we listen to on the news. There's all kinds of things that are coming at us. Um, and uh, the challenges that we face as Christian believers against the immorality of our own culture, we have to, do, we have to be able to do battle with there. And the, the other thing, and Julie showed me, I'm going to say who, some of you know this person, but I won't say who. Um, Julie saw, showed me a picture on Facebook of a person that we thought highly of, and the whole table was full of alcohol. I was just, you know, it's like, seriously? They're going to display that? So it doesn't even bother them that they're falling into sin. They're falling away. They're being distracted. They're being, they're being led about by the deceiver. And uh, he also says in verse 3 that would be his fourth concern. Not only, not only was he f- fear that they were being tricked, he was, he was fearful for the, what was happening to their mind. Their mind was being deceived. He was afraid that they would be corrupted of the simplicity of Christ by the complexity of being drawn back into the law. And so these false teachers had as their motive to draw churches back into the law which is not at all simple. The Old Testament law is not simple. It's hard to keep the law. <laughs> Nobody could keep the law but Christ. So simplicity means uncomplicated. There's no duplicity or added exceptions. 
There's no ulterior motives in our relationship with Christ. Colossians chapter 3, verse 22 refers to this as integrity and fidelity. It says, Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. Paul's concern was that the church would allow the truth to be taught, that would that he taught, to be watered down. And that's obviously what's happening to some people, like that person in the in the picture. Um this would open them up to being corrupted by the subtlety of the serpent who will deceive them. And the word subtlety, it means crafty, unscrupulous, or shrewd. And so Paul's concern was that they would be corrupted, which was exactly what was happening, which is why he was so attentive to sending representatives over and over again and writing letters over and over again because he was that, that much concerned. And then his fifth, his fifth concern in verse 4, for if he that cometh preaches another Jesus whom we have preached, not preached, or if you receive another spirit which you have not received, or another gospel which you have not accepted, you might well bear with him. Paul's fifth concern was, uh, um, let's see where am I at? Yeah, his fifth concern was Paul wanted the church. He was concerned. He was warning them to avoid certain people. Who do we get to, Who do you have to avoid? Those that are teaching false truth. Those are teaching wrong doctrine. So this is a specific description of how the enemy appears as it falsifies truth. Peter said in Peter, Second Peter chapter 2, verse 1, But there were false prophets as also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you. Notice that shall be false teachers among you. There could be, I don't think at this point in time right now, but there has been, and, there, and we, have to be defended, we have to be ready to defend in the future if somebody comes into this church as a false teacher who, who comes in among us, who privileged shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and, being, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. So these heresies that Paul and Peter are referring to, the types of heresies that damn the soul of men and women in the churches. Doesn't let that happen. We can't let that happen. There's less... These are, uh, there are less than Daniel heresies, of course, but the, these beliefs in false gods, Christ, and gospels, and, or spirits, impacts the reality of salvation. Basically, everything he said in verse 4 will affect future salvations of people that come to the church. Now, for the sake of time, I, I, I got a whole list. I'm just going to jump down to this list here. Let me just give you some false, false Christ, the doctrines that are out there in the world today. This, and I was going to try to put them in the notes, but I didn't have room. And I thought, I'll put them on the back, but I didn't want to do that. So, listen to this. The Mormons teach that, you may know this already, the Mormons teach that Jesus Christ is the brother of Satan. Uh, the Shack, Christ, you know that movie, The Shack, the book, The Shack, teaches that he's just a buddy. Jesus is just a buddy. The New Age Christ has a love that's unconditional and all men will be saved in the end. That's New Age Christ. The Hindu Christ, I don't know if you know this, but the Hindu Christ teaches uh, that he learned his wisdom from the Hindu gurus. That he went to India before he went to Israel, got, got wisdom from the gurus, and then, he went to, and then he went to Israel. Uh, the Liberation Theology Christ, they teach that Jesus is a communist, uh, communist fighter, freedom fighter. The Jehovah Witness Christ, they teach that he's really Michael the Archangel. And of course there's so many other. I got a whole I could have a, a, probably ten more on the list, but I'll just stop right there for the sake of time. And let me back up now with a couple other notes here. Um, these actions are of the devil, who who come as a hidden intelligence and a power behind these false doctrines. Notice in verse three that they seek to corrupt your mind. So you are your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity. Uh, they come t preaching a different message about who Jesus really is, and just as I gave you some of those examples. They share another spirit that you did not get from the truth, one which uh, does not desire to have t um, taking residence in you as the Holy Spirit does. In, verse, in chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians, verse 16, Paul writes, Know ye not that you are the temple of God, that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? But this, some of this false teaching doesn't even teach that. The Spirit of God is part of the Godhead, of course. 
And it, it is the Holy Spirit, Spirit of truth, Spirit of holiness, Spirit of one with the Father and Son, but distinct. The Spirit is a person and does not work as, uh, does the work of a person. I have some verses, but I won't take the time to turn there. Um, let me just drop down to the, to the last last thing here in verse 5, where he says, For I suppose I was not a wit behind the very chiefest of the apostles. So Paul defines his relationship to the church in this verse 5. He needed to return to the challenge of his authority as an apostle. So he said, okay, just bear with me. Let me tell you a few things that I'm concerned about. And now after he gave those concerns, now he's going he's to talk more about his relationship. In verse 5, they accused him of being... Um, falsely calling himself an apostle. He says, For I suppose I was not a wit behind the chiefest of the apostles. They basically said, Paul's not really an apostle. These other guys, they're apostles, but Paul's not an apostle. That was part of the accusations that Paul had. Uh, they accused him of being behind the apostles in leadership. That phrase, to wit, means to be last, to be behind in dignity or in strength. And uh, Paul says, uh, I suppose I was not a wit behind. He said, I'm not that far behind these guys as you think I am. Um, Paul's response was, I think I know who I am, so let me let you know who I am. That's basically what he's saying here. He's not behind the chiefest of the apostles. Those, were, those who were the chiefest were preeminent, of course. But Paul's not behind them. Um, in Galatians 2, verse 9, Paul he, lists, he labels, that, or he identifies who the pillars or the the uh, chief, chiefest of the apostles were. He writes in Galatians 2.9, And when James, Cephas, and John, James, Peter, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship. So these pillars saw me as an apostle. They saw me as equal to them. Uh, and that we should go to the heathen and they to the circumcision. Now, we know a pillar is a support, like a column holding up a roof, and it means a person of influence and authority, a pillar. So while James and John and Peter were considered pillars, that does not mean that Paul was not an apostle. He was already proven, he has already proven, back in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, that he's an apostle. He reminded the church uh, that, he, that, was, that they were the seal of his apostleship. He's already, he's already talked about this once, once they do it again. So in response to the attacks on Paul's authority, he reminds them of the position that he was given in an apostolic leadership. Paul was recognized by Peter in Galatians chapter 2, verse 7. When Peter went to the Jews and Paul went to the, uh, went, was the apostles of the Gentiles, they both met up and he said, okay, you're the apostles of the Gentiles, you go to the Gentiles, I'm going to go to the Jews, and they, and they acknowledged each other. Paul could have also pointed out his commission directly from Christ. Remember, when Christ called him out in Acts chapter 9, verse 15, the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me. I mean, that's a pretty powerful statement right there. He was, he's a chosen vessel to me. God said that to, uh, to Ananias. Uh, he says, He's a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Now, it's... That's a pretty cool thing. I'll finish up with this, this comment. He's, he's, a, he's to bear the, the name of Christ before kings. These Judaizers and these false prophets that have come into the church and try to destroy, did they have permission to go in front of kings to preach? I doubt it. I don't think that they had that ability to get in front of a king and lay out the gospel like Paul did multiple times. Uh, and that's how much, that's, that's the authority and the position and the pillar, the pillar in position that Paul had in all of that. Um, okay, so let's go ahead and finish up here. Um, we'll need to hold up. I really wanted to get further in this chapter, but there's just so, so much meat here that I couldn't. But So next week, no class. Um, the week of New Year's, we'll probably be back on a regular schedule. Do you think that's right? A regular schedule New so. Year's week? That's what I was thinking. Um, and so... Um, so everybody have a have a, an awesome time for Christmas. Uh, whatever you guys are doing, if you're going to be out of town, be safe um, and uh, just uh, have a good time. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for this passage of scripture. Thank you for the the concerns that Paul has for the church. And I didn't mention it, Lord, but let me just do it in prayer. 
that every one of us should have these kind of concerns for our own church and our own family. Uh, Lord, we shouldn't allow our church or our family to be deceived by false doctrine and false and the deceit. So, Lord, help us to be verbal as often as we possibly can. Lord, um, sometimes we need to be motivated just by you to speak a word fitly spoken in time of need. And we just ask for your help in all of that. We do pray for Brian as he preaches today. Lord, we pray for those that can't be here. We pray for all the ones that we mentioned earlier as we prayed. Lord, that you would move in their life and, um, and be uh, evidence, Lord, um, and rightfully that we can praise you for the things you do. And we give you the honor and the praise and the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Sarah Bickett says, lunch is lunch and dinner is supper. <laughs> All right, well, you guys, we love you guys. See you when we see you.